Greetings, this is podcast number 83 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, we're going to have installment two of our series, Bill O'Reilly Misleads His Audience, Lying or Just Plain Ignorant. The subject is poverty. Let's get right into it. My sources are McClatchy Newspapers, OECD.org, Newsmax.com, CommonDreams.org, BrainyQuote.com, FairEconomy.org, The New York Times, The British Newspaper The Independent, and FoxNews.com. O'Reilly recently had as a guest Reverend Fred Candler of the Methodist Federation for Social Action. Reverend Candler was objecting to plans to place George W. Bush's presidential library at Southern Methodist University. Candler said one of the reasons was that Bush's economic policies violate Methodist social teachings on poverty. O'Reilly challenged him. Poverty is very low in the United States. It stands at below 10%. Even those who are poor have the basic staples of life, most of them, unless they're addicted or mentally ill. Um, What's the problem with the president's um, economic policies, which have really been very successful, particularly after 9-11? Amazing how in less than 50 words... O'Reilly can pack in so much misinformation. An unsuspecting member of O'Reilly's audience would come away from this believing that poverty in the United States is under 10%, that we have a very low poverty rate, and that Bush's economic policies have been very successful in this area. Let's go through these one by one. First, and most simply, the poverty rate in the United States is not below 10%. It's 12.6%. Since each percentage point represents 3 million people, O'Reilly understates the number of people in poverty by nearly 8 million. Don't let O'Reilly slide by thinking, oh, he probably got mixed up with another year. No, he didn't. Poverty in the United States has never been under 10% since they started measuring. A show of O'Reilly's size has, I'm sure, one or more full-time researchers. For O'Reilly to make such an error is either gross incompetence or deliberate misrepresentation. Beyond the 10% error is O'Reilly's broader claim that Bush's economic policies, quote, have really been very successful, close quote, in this area. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Keep in mind that the statistics I'm about to give are the Bush administration's own figures from the Census Bureau. The cold hard fact is that every year that George Bush has been in office, both the number of people in poverty and the percentage of Americans living in poverty has increased. Oh yeah, one year they stayed the same. Good job, George. When Bush took office, the poverty rate was 11.3%. Now, as we noted before, it's 12.6%. Under George Bush's rule, millions of additional Americans have fallen into poverty. A total of nearly 37 million Americans live in poverty as I speak these words, 12.6% of the population. How can O'Reilly say that increasing poverty is a successful policy? And these overall poverty statistics by themselves don't fully reveal the true horror of what has been done to the least of these during Bush's administration. 
Extreme poverty is defined by the government as earning less than half the poverty limit. How minuscule an income is that? For a family of four, less than $9,903. For an individual, less than $5,080 a year. I'd say that's pretty extreme, wouldn't you? The number of Americans living in extreme poverty sharply increased between 2004 and 2005. 43% of America's poor earned less than half the poverty limit, the highest percentage in 32 years, if not an all-time record. Nearly 16 million Americans are in this category. This is not just a one-year jump. From 2000 to 2005, the number of our fellow citizens who live in extreme poverty grew 26%. It's true that, quote, the share of poor Americans in deep poverty has climbed slowly but steadily over the last three decades, but since 2000, the number of severely poor has grown more than any other segment of the population, according to a recent study in the American Journal of Preventive Medicine. That was the exact opposite of what we anticipated when we began, said Dr. Stephen Wolf of Virginia Commonwealth University, who co-authored the study. We're not seeing as much moderate poverty as a proportion of the population. What we're seeing is a dramatic growth of severe poverty. Close quote. Don't let a right-winger tell you it's all the urban poor. No, according to an analysis of census data by McClatchy newspapers, quote, the rise in severely poor residents isn't confined to large urban counties, but extends to suburban and rural areas. Close quote. How does it break down racially? Quote, nearly two out of three people in severe poverty, 10.3 million, are white, but blacks, 4.3 million, and Hispanics of any race, 3.7 million, make up disproportionate shares. Close quote. What are Bush's very successful economic policies doing to address this situation? More tax cuts for the wealthy. That'll certainly help. Not only did the overall poverty rate and the extreme poverty rate both go up under Bush, but O'Reilly never tells his audience. But I'll tell you some other necessary-to-know facts about poverty in America. More and more working Americans, millions of them, are finding themselves closer and closer to the poverty line. Quote, as more and more Americans sink into severe poverty, more individuals and families living within $8,000 above or below the poverty line also have seen their incomes decline, close quote. Professor Wolf has dubbed this the sinkhole effect on income. He wrote in his study, quote, just as a sinkhole causes everything above it to collapse downward, families and individuals in the middle and upper classes appear to be migrating to lower income tiers that bring them closer to the poverty threshold. Close quote. So in addition to the 37 million Americans living below the poverty line, there are now a whopping 54 million who live in households where annual earnings are less than double the poverty line. Quote, in recent years, with the soaring costs of housing and medical care and a decline in low-end wages and benefits, tens of millions are living on even shakier ground than before, according to studies of what some scholars call the near-poor. We don't track this group of people, and they are very vulnerable, 
said Catherine S. Newman, a sociologist at Princeton University who studies low-end workers. Close quote. This vulnerability to poverty is borne out by a truly scary study looking at just that. Mark R. Rank is a professor of social welfare at Washington University in St. Louis and the author of One Nation Underprivileged, Why American Poverty Affects Us All. Professor Rank, along with Daniel A. Sandoval and Thomas A. Herschel of Cornell University, published a paper entitled The Increase of Poverty Risk and Income Insecurity in the United States Since the 1970s. They found that the risk of an American spending at least one year below the official poverty line increased sharply in the 1990s compared with the 70s and 80s. For example, quote, during the 1980s, around 13% of Americans in their 40s spent at least one year below the poverty line. In the 1990s, 36% of people in their 40s did, according to the analysis. Close quote. I know the 90s were the Clinton era. And you know what? Clinton is a DLC, Democratic Leadership Council Democrat. They're the most pro-corporate wing of the Democratic Party more like Rockefeller Republicans than Hubert Humphrey pro-working-class Democrats. What about during the Bush years? Have Bush's very successful economic policies helped solve this problem? Quote, By all signs, such insecurity has continued to worsen. Comparable figures for this decade will not be available for several years. But other indicators, a climbing poverty rate and rising levels of family debt, suggest a deepening insecurity, poverty experts and economists say. Professor Rank said, quote, There's strong evidence that over the past five years, record numbers of lower-income Americans find themselves in a more precarious economic position than at any time in recent memory. Close quote. Bush's very successful economic policies are sure doing a great job for 91 million Americans. 37 million living in poverty and 54 million increasingly at risk for falling into poverty, aren't they? So as you see, even though you might think 87% of Americans are not poor, that's at any one time. The tragedy of poverty is not just confined to a small percentage of Americans. According to Professor Rank, and this is almost unbelievable, quote, one in three Americans will experience a full year of extreme poverty at some point in his or her adult life. Close quote. Wow. Some even higher numbers. Quote, An estimated 58% of Americans between the ages of 20 and 75 will spend at least a year in poverty, Rank said. Two of three will use a public assistance program between ages 20 and 65, and 40% will do so for five years or more. Close quote. Don't let a right-winger tell you that undocumented immigrants are the cause of these numbers. Quote, these estimates apply only to non-immigrants. If illegal immigrants were factored in, the numbers would be worse, Rank said. Close quote. As Professor Rank's study concluded, quote, It would appear that for most Americans, the question is no longer if, but rather when, they will experience poverty. In short, poverty has become a routine and unfortunate part of the American life course. Close quote. That one in three figure is a tough one to swallow. I haven't found other studies confirming it. But you have to consider that 
The bottom 50% of Americans own less than 3% of the nation's wealth. They have such meager savings, in many cases negative net worth, that they're one job loss, one uninsured medical crisis away from poverty. That's the pool from which a one in three stat would be drawn, I imagine. Here are some right-wing talking points attacking poverty statistics. If you discuss all this with a right-winger, you're probably going to get an argument that the federal poverty rate doesn't factor in food stamps, subsidies for housing, and the earned income tax credit. That's true, but the federal poverty stats, quote, also exclude work-related expenses and necessities such as daycare, transportation, housing, and health care costs, which eat up large portions of disposable income, particularly for low-income families. Close quote. In addition, some analysts argue that many of those living in extreme poverty aren't reached by census questionnaires, so they're undercounted. Right-wingers will also contend that the mobility of American society makes the poverty stats misleading. Maybe the mobility they're talking about is the one in three Americans experiencing poverty in their lifetime stat, as estimated by Professor Rank's study. What's key here is that there are alternative poverty measures that address these various shortcomings. Depending on which alternative measure is used, it will increase or decrease the poverty rate. What you have to stress to the right-winger is, quote, many of these alternative measures show the same kind of long-term trends as the official poverty data, close quote. And of course, even if the federal stats did overstate poverty in any given year, as the right argues, if the federal stats are going up under Bush year after year, poverty is still obviously worsening from year to year. Okay, let's take a quick break, and when we return, we'll continue our debunking of Bill O'Reilly. We had a bundle in the treasury drawer More than there had ever been before but every day we're drowning deeper in debt Maybe four years should be all you get Then you gave tax breaks to the millionaires And you tried to make the working man pay But you can't tax a man when his job's not there Now look at where we are today Hey, I'm taking my country back Son, you ain't been Your one-minute voting report. Blast the Right finished February at number seven. We got a few less votes than January. Had we the same, we would have been number six again. How about this month we get a hundred more votes and finish number five or higher? Building Blast the Right's audience and spreading the progressive word is very important to me. Here's my offer you can't refuse, or so I hope. You get two hours of a show you like to listen to every month, and what do I ask in return? Ten seconds of your time once a month. You can vote at the one-click link on the podcast homepage. Two hours for ten seconds. You can even go vote right now if you want to. Deal? Cool. (laughs) 
Is the picture clear enough yet that O'Reilly is a major league misinformer? Heard enough? Well, we're not quite done yet detailing the depth of O'Reilly's misleading his audience. The last element of O'Reilly's failure to tell the truth about poverty to his Fox News viewers is his assertion that poverty is very low in the United States. Compared to what, Bill? Compared to Bolivia, where we discussed last week how poverty was at 64%? Is that O'Reilly's standard? Obviously, the comparison must be not to the third world, but to other industrialized nations. And when we do that, the United States comes out looking really, really bad. The following numbers are from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. The U.S. and 29 other mostly European industrialized nations are currently members. The OECD measures poverty a bit differently than the U.S. Census Bureau does. Quote, Poverty rates are measured as the proportion of individuals with equivalized disposable income less than 50% of the median income of the entire population. Close quote. Since the OECD measurement is applied across the board to its members, comparisons between members' poverty rates still show relative levels of poverty in the various nations. In data for 2000, our overall poverty rate was higher than for every then-current member except Mexico. The U.S. rate was 17.1, compared to Canada, 15.3, U.K., 11.4, Japan, 10.3, Germany, 9.8, France, 7, Sweden, 5.3, and Denmark, 4.3. The U.S. is at 17! and that's not the worst of it. Quote, for child poverty, the U.S. rate, 21.7%, was much higher than most members of the organization or the organization's average as a whole, 12.1%. The Scandinavian nations had child poverty rates in the 2-3% to range. Close quote. Our child poverty rate is nearly 10 times the Scandinavian rate. To be honest, this isn't a recent development we can blame just on Bush. Quote, Over the last two decades, America has had the highest or near highest poverty rates for children, individual adults, and families among 31 developed countries, according to the Luxembourg Income Study, a 23-year project that compares poverty and income data from 31 industrial nations. It's shameful, said Timothy Smeeting, the former director of the study and the current head of the Center for Policy Research at Syracuse University. We've been the worst performer every year since we've been doing this study. Close quote. One last thing. Even though you'll hear right-wingers rant and rave that we spend too much on our social safety net, quote, with the exception of Mexico and Russia, the U.S. devotes the smallest portion of its gross domestic product to federal anti-poverty programs, and those programs are among the least effective at reducing poverty, the study found. Close quote. With the exception of Mexico and Russia. Nice to know we're at least beating them, isn't it? Okay, to give you a roadmap of where we've gone in our discussion today, we've thoroughly debunked O'Reilly and established that 
The U.S. poverty rate is not under 10%, but 12.6%. That Bush's economic policies have been a dismal failure in this area because every year poverty has gone up under Bush, except for the one year it stayed the same, and that extreme poverty has set a record high under Bush's regime. Beyond all that, tens of millions of Americans are increasingly at risk for falling into poverty, and Americans have a one in three chance of living in poverty for at least one year of their adult life. Finally, the U.S. poverty rate is not low, but is higher than virtually every other industrialized nation in the world, and our anti-poverty efforts are the least funded and least effective. The remaining way station left in our journey today is to take a look at what right-wingers have to say about all this beyond their statistical quibbling. What about the morality of it all? A typical right-wing reaction is as follows, basically poo-pooing the idea that there's any increased suffering going on. Quote, Robert Rector, a senior researcher with the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank, questioned the growth of severe poverty, saying that he's seen no data that suggests increasing deprivation among the very poor. Close quote. Sort of like when O'Reilly reassured his audience, Even those who are poor have the basic staples of life, most of them, unless they're addicted or mentally ill. Not starving to death in the streets is O'Reilly's standard? This cavalier attitude of right-wingers towards the poor is rooted in their belief that the poor deserve their fate. Long-time listeners of Blast the Right are familiar with what O'Reilly said after Hurricane Katrina. Every American kid should be required to watch videotape of the poor in New Orleans and see how they suffered because they couldn't get out of town. And then every teacher should tell the students, if you refuse to learn, if you refuse to work hard, if you become addicted, if you live a gangsta life, you will be poor and powerless just like many of those in New Orleans. That was no emotional outburst that O'Reilly has since thought better of. Just this past month, O'Reilly reiterated his philosophy. America is a capitalistic country. That means some people will get very rich and some people will be poor. Now, there are two ways to get rich in America. You can get educated, work hard, and be kind of lucky like me. Or you can steal stuff, like some of those criminal CEOs who have gone to prison. For my money, pardon the pun, capitalism is a good thing. It gives opportunity to people like me who started with zero money to work our way up. And sometimes you can hit it big no matter what your background. That's impossible in many other countries. On the downside, if you don't get educated, if you don't work hard, capitalism's brutal. Poverty is a terrible thing. The left believes the government should redistribute income, should make sure everybody has a decent standard of living. Republicans generally believe you should work for what you get and not take other people's money. Talking Points thinks capitalism must be controlled by oversight, that is, people must not be allowed to break the law, but there's nothing wrong with achievement. As for the poor, all the stats show the same thing. If girls have babies in their teens, they're likely to be poor. If kids drop out of high school, they're likely to be poor. If people get addicted, they're likely to be poor. If you commit crimes, not only will you be poor, you'll be poor in jail. That is our system. O'Reilly is expressing the right wing's underlying credo, which is actually a formal doctrine called social Darwinism. Social Darwinism posits that the rich are rich because they work hard and are moral. The poor are poor because they're lazy and immoral. They don't get educated, they don't work hard, they get addicted. 
All low-income workers who earn a poverty-level wage, no doubt, refuse to learn, refuse to work hard, become addicted, and live a gangster life. Right, Bill? Condemnation of the poor, blaming them for their situation, is always a surefire crowd-pleaser among right-wingers. Let me tell you a bit more about social Darwinism, since it's so critical to understanding the right-wing mindset. Charles Darwin of the theory of evolution fame had nothing to do with it. The social Darwinism doctrine was developed by an English philosopher named Herbert Spencer 30 years after Darwin's book on the origin of species was published. Robert Reich was Bill Clinton's labor secretary and much more progressive than Bill Clinton and other DLC Democrats on economic issues. Reich explained social Darwinism in words I can't improve upon. Quote, Extending Darwin into a realm Darwin never intended, Spencer and his followers saw society as a competitive struggle where only those with the strongest moral character should survive, or else the society would weaken. It was Spencer, not Darwin, who coined the phrase survival of the fittest. Social Darwinism thereby offered a perfect moral justification for America's Gilded Age, when robber barons controlled much of American industry, the gap between rich and poor turned into a chasm, urban slums festered, and politicians were bought off by the wealthy. It allowed John D. Rockefeller, for example, to claim that the fortune he accumulated through the giant Standard Oil Trust was, quote, merely a survival of the fittest, the working out of a law of nature and a law of God, close quote. Wright goes on to explain how social Darwinism is the moral philosophy underpinning the right-wing legislative agenda. Quote, Social Darwinism gives a moral justification for rejecting social insurance and supporting tax cuts for the rich. Wright then quotes Robert Bork, Reagan's failed Supreme Court nominee, as saying, In America, the rich are overwhelmingly people, entrepreneurs, small businessmen, corporate executives, doctors, lawyers, etc., who have gained their higher incomes through intelligence, imagination, and hard work. Wright goes on, any transfer of wealth from rich to poor thereby undermines the nation's moral fiber. Allow the virtuous rich to keep more of their earnings and pay less in taxes, and they'll be even more virtuous. Give the non-virtuous poor food stamps, Medicaid, and what's left of welfare, and they'll fall into deeper moral torpor. Close quote. So it hurts the poor to help them, and helps the poor to take away what little help they receive. Ah, a philosophy to soothe the conscience of a greedy bastard if I ever heard one. See podcast number 20 for a full treatment of this noxious social Darwinism philosophy. A lot of you are probably shaking your heads out there, saying to yourself, what's wrong with these people? Don't they see how screwed up their thinking is? No, they don't, unfortunately. Social Darwinism allows Rush Limbaugh to proclaim with such gusto and delight, without a trace of conscience, Roosevelt is dead! His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. Roosevelt's policies include our social safety net. 
poverty getting wider and deeper? Let's destroy the entire social safety net, why don't we? Before we wind up, I want to be completely fair to O'Reilly. He's not one of the most extreme of right-wingers in economics. He's actually said he supports raising the minimum wage a dollar. A pittance, but an improvement over abolishing the minimum wage as many right-wingers would like to do. O'Reilly also just recently agreed to accept, under prodding from Ben Stein, whom Riley seems uncharacteristically deferential to, maybe he had him as a professor or something, O'Reilly agreed to a 10% income tax surcharge on multimillionaires like himself to help the poor. But O'Reilly's non-extreme right-wing moments are virtually invisible amidst his constant hammering home of the social Darwinism message. Much more so than his misstating the poverty rate, it is that noxious thought virus that the poor are poor because they deserve it that is O'Reilly's most egregious sin in this area. Let's close with two of my favorite quotes. One of them is from the recently departed noted economist John Kenneth Galbraith. He said that, quote, The modern conservative is engaged in one of man's oldest exercises in moral philosophy. That is, the search for a superior moral justification for selfishness. Close quote. The social Darwinism philosophy is just that. The other quote is from me. It's what I call the Jack Clark corollary to what I just read from Galbraith. Quote, everything the right wing does is designed to accomplish one of two things. Either A, transfer wealth from everyone else to the rich, or B, distract everyone else from the fact that A is occurring. Close quote. You've seen both A and B occurring since the day Bush took office. Now you've heard and have a hands-on knowledge of some of the distortions, half-truths, and outright inaccuracies employed in that effort, as well as of the philosophical underpinning that apparently allows these right-wingers to sleep at night. It's the job of us progressives to cut through their social Darwinism trance and awaken right-wingers to the increased human misery, suffering, pain, and death their policies inflict on others. Maybe then, these right-wingers won't sleep so soundly at night. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on the podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. A special shout-out to all you Live 365 and Red Dragon 365 listeners. Great to have you on board. Consider coming over to the podcast homepage and subscribing. If there's a listener out there who has a half hour or an hour of time and knows how to take an MP3 and cut out excerpts from it, could you drop me a line? I have a little project I need help with. If you'd like to hear me being interviewed by another podcaster, the Check It Out podcast, there's a link to that on the right side of my podcast homepage under the CD information. And now a word from another progressive podcaster. You're listening to podcasternews.com. Gonzo, 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 Gonzo. 
Do you know Do you your, know your local congressman? It's a fact that the Democratic Party is overwhelmingly pro-choice and pro-gay marriage. They hold radical beliefs such as free speech and the right to privacy. You don't need you don't need privacy if you're not hiding a suicide bomb underneath your jacket. Nine out of ten Taliban prisoners interviewed in Guantanamo preferred Democratic candidates. Osama bin Laden even mentioned one in his recorded messages, which begs the question: recorded threat to America or secret message to sleeper Democratic candidate hellbent on the destruction of our Judeo-Christian values? Fact. Jesus Christ is a renowned Republican. We know this because George Bush regularly talks to God. Check out all the great shows at www.podcasternews.com. This has been Gonzo Gone Wrong. Music credits. The break music was Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth and L.A. Nightmare by 22 Caliber. We'll close with a little bit of Too Much Bush by Wang Dang Doodle. Links to all the music I play on Blasterite can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Keep all that great email coming in. My address is rational at adelphia.net. You can also call in and leave a comment for me to play on Blasterite. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. If you prefer, you can leave your comment on Skype. My name there is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Too much for far too long, it's time for a brand new day.